Is that what they want to see? So, <laughs> so now it's Peje and who? <laughs> Peje and Peje. I love your entrance. It's really wonderful. <laughs> and I love the science fair. That's exciting. I didn't know some of those things about garlic. You didn't? No. Well, thank goodness you came to Science Live. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I need well, to know thank goodness. about that. Uh, I'm excited to have this new grand prize. So we're going to get to see the grand champion right here. I think it's really fun. Uh, there's a couple things I'd like to say about Science Fair. Um, a lot of students are already working on their projects. And so I took a camera and just got a few quick, you know, secret peeks of what people are going to do this year. Yeah. So this is what you're going to be up against. Would you like to see it? I want to see okay. Christina, what are you going to do with the Science tape. Fair? So I'm still trying to figure out what I'm gonna do. Um, I'm still trying to figure it out, but I think I might do a spray that can kill bacteria with hydrogen. I do not know yet. I'm going to build a robot. Still trying to figure it out. I don't know yet. I don't know. Not really. I only know what my science fair project is gonna be but I am thinking about it. I don't know what I'm doing for my science project. I haven't actually done any experiments yet. I, th I thought you said I'm to break down plastic using mushrooms. I don't have any of my science fair project figured out yet. Um, I want to do something with hydrogen, but that's my only idea so far. I don't know what my science fair is going to be yet, but I know the science fair is going to be great. Wow, they got no. it not figured out. <laughs> I hope we have one this year. <laughs> we really need to get to work, don't we? Well, uh, some students really wanted to have some help with their science fair project. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we should take just a minute and kind of talk about it. There are about three different kinds of projects you can do. And I think some students really would like knowing that there's, there's more choices. So one thing is you can uh, ask a question, a science question, develop a hypothesis, and do an experiment to see what the answer is. That's the basic inventioneering kind of approach. Maybe you'll invent some new breakthrough technology or something. That's possible. That's mainly, though, going to be what our older students do. There are a couple other things, though, that you can do that are also really exciting. One is to recreate an interesting experiment. When a scientist discovers something, they publish their research, and then other scientists see if they can reproduce it. When it's reproduced by others, then we know that it really is a, an invention that's understood. So it's important to be able to do that. Well, a science fair project could be reproducing an experiment that is interesting to you. Uh, for example, right now, there's some big shaking news going on in science about room temperature semiconductors. Not semi, superconductors. These are, are materials that will pass electricity through with no resistance, or essentially no resistance. And a research team in South Korea has just this past year announced that they have discovered 
the long elusive room temperature superconductor. And this is a big deal. This can be used for many, many <coughs> neat demonstrations and projects. It's gonna change the world. Uh, and so now people are starting to try to reproduce this experiment. That could be a science fair project. And it turns out that the way they make the semiconductor is a little bit easier than one would expect. So it's a really big deal. It's kind of earth shattering. And to learn about superconductors and how to make them at room temperature and what you could do with them is something that would re be really fun. Did you know that with a, a superconductor, you could literally make a train that goes down a, a track just levitated. You don't need tracks, it just floats in the air. And you put the energy in to turn it on and then it'll go clear down without needing any more power. So there's a lot of really neat things we can do. Um, most of the quantum computer research in the United States is done with superconductors. So it's just a lot of applications. So you find some project, some experiment that someone did and you duplicate it and maybe put your variations in. A third thing that you can do <clears throat> is to do an experiment that helps someone understand a cutting edge technology, like maybe you and anyone that sees your project. And I think these are especially desirable projects for younger students because if you get in and do an experiment that really shows science, you'll be amazed how much you learn trying to successfully do that experiment. Um, to, to give you an idea of how that might work, uh, over the next few weeks, not tonight, but over the next few weeks, we plan to become chemists. Really? And like to do a chemistry project. And in this chemistry project, we're gonna learn how to do some pretty amazing things. And the techniques we're gonna use are going to be called titration. Titration is a method that chemists use in the laboratory to discover, like if there's an unknown liquid, to discover what it is. And I think you're gonna have uh, a lot of, excuse me just a second, I wish you wouldn't do this. Yeah, it's him. <laughs> he wants to be a part of it, obviously. Incoming news, R51 says to be entering the science fair this year. <laughs> yeah? Because he would like to come to Science Live. <laughs> no. Not a No. <laughs> no. Should we check in on him? Yeah, we should All do right. that. R51, are you there? Well, I'm getting ready for the science fair. <laughs> are I'm you? I'm getting ready to do my project. What are you going to do? My experiment is called titration. Of course. Yeah, it's a very advanced scientific concept that I'm working on. I'm going to do an actual titration. Do you want to see it? <laughs> this is a tie, <laughs> and I'm going to try the titration. It's too big. Oh, well, give me some time to work on it. I'll get it. There we go. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the good news is That's my kind of science. The grand prize is still available. <laughs> oh, you got it on. Look at that. Yeah, well, thank you. I kinda like him. You know that? There's something wrong with him. I kinda like him. <laughs> yeah, there's something wrong with him. Well anyway, so we're gonna learn how to do titration.
And titration glyphosate is a really big thing that chemists know and use to be very effective. And we're actually developing a new chemistry laboratory for our cello students. So you can actually have the experience of mixing chemicals and things through your Acellus interface. And it's gonna allow you to learn a lot of chemistry by the discovery method. And so I'd like to focus for the next few weeks on titration. First of all, we're gonna figure out if it really has something to do with a necktie or maybe something else. And, and I hope you'll, you'll get that. So your project can be doing any experiment that you rethink's interesting. Very often, repeating or duplicating the experiment that someone else does or has done is a great way to learn something to be able to move it forward. You know, Thomas Edison's been called one of the greatest inventors that's ever lived. And yet there's something very interesting about Thomas Edison. And of course, we care because he is the mentor of my mentor. That's right, we have that whole legacy. Yeah, yeah, so uh, since he was mentored by little Bill Lear were real interesting, but Thomas Edison. Or was it the other way around? I guess right. <laughs> I think it was the other way around. Can, can I start over? So, <clears throat> Bill Lear was mentored by Peje Monet. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did not get to meet him. Peje Monet? <laughs> Bill Lear. Oh, that's really unfortunate. Great guy who was mentored by Thomas Edison the mm -hmm. other way around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here to pick everything apart, I say. <laughs> you're very good at it, and she's so sweet. You see how social she was as she sliced and diced. It was really good. Thank I'm you. Sorry. Thank you. I'm going to go get some band-aids. Okay. No, I'm fine. All right. So let's get back on point here. So Thomas Edison... Uh, filed a patent on the light bulb, and he's famous for inventing the light bulb, isn't he? Mm -hmm. But two years before he patented his light bulb, another guy invented the light bulb first and patented So some people say, hey, Thomas Edison didn't invent the light bulb, and I say he reinvented it. Mm -hmm. The guy that invented the first light bulb had a light that would last about 12 minutes. Thomas Edison patented his light bulb, which by the time the patent issued would run for 1,200 hours. That's real. You can use that. The other guy, he had the right idea, but he hadn't figured out how to make it really work. And that's one of the fun things about inventioneering. I love inventioneering because instead of spending our whole lives in the laboratory working on just one or two problems, trying to figure out the basic science, we have all of the great scientists all over the nation and the world doing that for us. And we inventioners, we just sit here and wait <laughs> until someone comes up with a breakthrough idea. Then we grab it and figure out how to use it. And we call inventioning the science of putting science breakthroughs to work. It's a pretty yeah. neat thing. So if you can duplicate an interesting experiment and understand it, then you've really got something. And remember, these original great inventors figured out what's going on from these experiments. And there's something magical about doing them yourself, getting your hands dirty, doing the experiment that is, is really quite significant. It is. Yeah, you should try it.
Okay. So we're going to see if we can get her to titrate. You I'm know, excited. she should have been a chemist. I should have. But she ended up being an electrical engineer, which is not all that bad. <laughs> but she no. needs to be a chemist, but it's not too late. So next week we'll work on making you a chemist. I'm excited. Okay. I'm very it is excited. excited. About it. All right, but we've got to get back on track now. Okay. So we are going to finish up tonight smashing through the brick wall. Do you remember the brick wall? Yes. Yeah, that's it. We, there it is. we wanted to jam a lot of information. It could be photographs, whatever, through a computer cable. Uh -huh. And we found that it's harder than some people expected, even as hard as we su suspected. But we've been talking for the last couple weeks about how we were able to eventually do it. And the goal was to send 1,000 megabit, 1,000 million bits every second through a Cat5 cable. And that is kind of the basis of what our networks are doing today. Well, with that technology, we went in and founded a company called Wideband Networking, which has been manufacturing computer networking products now for over 20 years. And uh, a lot of people have used Wideband products, and it's been a wonderful business for us. But I want to just finish up by going the next step. After we started the company and after we broke through on 1,000 megabit data rate, which mm -hmm. is one gigabit, giga means a billion. It's a billion bits per second through a wire like this. There had to be more frontiers to take on. And gee, if you can get 100 gig I mean, one gig through this kind of wire, what could you do over a light fiber? Over a light beam, how fast could you send it? And of course, uh, we developed another product. I'd like to show you this. This is a concentrator. There we go, can you see it? This circuit board uh, can transfer 100 billion bits per second. So it's 100 times faster than our gigabit technology. But this does something even more magical. This was a product that was needed uh, for the purpose of helping to uh, protect cities that were being attacked by missiles that were being shot in. And, and this was a problem that the Department of Defense came to me about and said, we have built an Iron Dome to help protect nations that might be attacked by missiles. And these missiles, as they're coming in, they put a little trick in them, so all of a sudden they jump to the side. And our missiles that are going up to stop them can't adjust fast enough. They don't have enough time to react, and so the destructive missiles get through. So they're trying to make protective missiles to protect people from incoming missiles. And they said, can you make a computer network system much, much faster? And not just faster in the data rate, but they want it faster in terms of the latency. So if you think of a signal coming over a wire, connecting, and it's gonna be a fiber in this case, a light wire coming over here with a signal, 
when it arrives at one of these uh, ports, and I can maybe turn this up so you can see, we've got all of these different ports that we put fiber modules into. But when it arrives at one, they needed to have it out to the next one going, so it's coming here, they need to have it start coming out within 25 billionths of a second. And it turns out that uh, that's impossible by any technology that was known on the planet. And um, Dr. John and I got our heads together and came up with a way to do that impossible task with some innovative new ideas. In fact, we got two patents over how we did this. But we took a contract from the Department of Defense to build this board. And in order to have a circuit board like this, you have to have a chip control it. I'm gonna try and turn this chip sideways so you can see. You see these are, it's a heat sink. It's a bunch of little fingers that stick up to give off the heat because underneath this heat sink, there is a chip. And this is what the chip looks like. The chip is a filled programmable gate array and on the backside, if you can see it, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of little pins. And each one of those pins connect to the circuit board so that we can move the data back and forth in here. And when we started this project, when we took the contract, there was no silicon available anywhere in the world that was fast enough to get the 25 nanosecond latency they wanted. And so we, we could see that they were getting faster and faster, so we started making a design. This chip inside a very complex circuit was designed by Dr. John. Yeah, and there are not a lot of engineers that could have designed this circuit. It's, it's really pretty amazing. And he started designing this before there was any silicon to program. Once we got it, the, the chip was burnt to have that uh, logic in it. We put on the circuit board and the Department of Defense tested this board and measured, had to be less than 25 billionths of a second and it clocked in at 19 billionths of a second, wow. making it, I believe, still the record holder on, on how fast you can move data between ports, which is really a, a, a pretty big accomplishment and something I'm quite proud to have been part of, even though John did the hard lifting on it. Way to go, John. So is that what you mean by latency? Yeah, latency, you know, when we talk about sending data over the cable, uh -huh. we're talking about data rate. How fast does the data go through? Well, uh -huh. it goes through a billion bits per second. That's how fast the data goes through the cable. But then from the cable, it comes over and it hooks into an appliance like this, into a switch, which then routes it to the next place it needs to go. And how long it takes going through the switch is the latency. So from when it starts to arrive, when does it start going out? And uh, normally it's, it's much, 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 much slower than that. And they needed it fast. And they needed it very, very fast because yeah. they had such a short time to react to mm -hmm. accomplish the mission. And you did it. Now this particular 
design has tremendous potential using in, in many places. Uh, one of the things that this uh, is, is really interesting for is things like uh, trading stocks in the stock market because it's so much faster. And when prices are changing, whoever can detect that and make their bid faster is going to be able to do well. I haven't really gone after that market, but it would be a really exciting one for this. But there are other uses of it too. In new AI supercomputers, there's a problem of moving the data between the different uh, computing modules. And the bottleneck is exactly this, the latency of moving the data. And this would have tremendous application. And I think that's an application we're going to pursue. Uh, however, this particular device is already in widespread use in one of the most important applications on planet Earth. And for that matter, Mars and the whole solar system. <laughs> this is the circuit through which all Ocellus lessons pass. Wow. Okay? I'd like to just show you, this, this over here is a, a cabinet. Uh, so inside of here is the circuit. Uh -huh. And here are the different ports where we plug in the fiber. And these are placed in, in racks. And these are what we have in our data center. I want to let you look just briefly inside the Acellus data center. Now, we have four of these data centers. Can you see it? And these are where all of your information, this is who you're talking to when you're doing your lessons. <laughs> this is who's sending you the videos and things like that. And all the networking equipment is all made by Wideband. And neat. we're pretty proud of it. Also, servers are made by Wideband. So, um, <clears throat> this circuit board then is an enabling technology to be able to do the Acellus thing we're doing. Now, there's some other learning solutions around, and you know, a lot of them are really good. Uh, very brilliant people, but I think we're the only one in the world that made our own networking equipment <laughs> and our own servers. In fact, I'm just pretty darn sure that's true. <laughs> but uh, it really gives us an advantage because Acellus is so much faster mm -hmm. than the others and it makes the experience much better and it makes it possible to um, provide the, the kind of experience. Our, our students don't want to sit around and wait for things. When they're finished the lesson, they want to move on. They do. And it's pretty demanding. did anybody notice that in a Cellus Gold, that things respond faster? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> another nice feature. And those fast response times take a lot of work, a lot of effort to figure out how to do it. Another thing that's kind of interesting, I'm going to just put in a little plug for it, and that is a thing called Gold Key. I just keep my keys in my pocket just in case I ever want to get in somewhere. So here's my keys. And one of my keys is this little USB device. And you've seen a USB port where you can plug it into a computer. This is a Gold Key Grandmaster. And this key locks up all of the data centers and all of your scholastic records to make sure someone doesn't hijack them and, and erase them because those records are very important to us, aren't they? Mm -hmm. 
And we have four independent data centers, completely different buildings, where we have built a complete independent set. We can run from any one of those. And the reason that Acellus has so little downtime is because we have all these redundant servers, systems, and networking connections. So there's a lot of things like that we're doing to make it possible. Uh, another thing that I think you'll find interesting, in Acellus Gold, we were starting to really push out high-definition videos. Have any of you noticed that we have high-definition videos? If you've noticed that, raise your hands, would you? Can we get a shot of these guys so we see? And the shot of these guys, there it is, okay. Well, clear across, go to the right, go more. And more. <laughs> Look at those white guy in the back. Oh, they got their hands up too, okay, thank you. That's called audience participation. <laughs> but at any rate, um, the high definition uh, videos take a lot more bandwidth. And it's hard to push all of that bandwidth out over the internet. If you watch uh, something like the Super Bowl, you probably notice the screen kept freezing up, locking. That's because the people that are doing it don't have enough bandwidth for all the users that are watching. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's kind of a, of a problem. Super Bowls, you know, that's where the Kansas City Chiefs live. They <laughs> <laughs> better uh, get on it. I have to tell you a true story. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say names to embarrass anybody, okay. <laughs> even though I really want to. But um, <clears throat> a couple years ago, made headline news because during the Super Bowl, the clock wound down on the first half and they went into halftime. And in one of our wonderful American cities, the sewer completely flooded over because everyone went to the restroom. And That's true story. the newspaper called it super flush. <laughs> yeah, the oh. sewers weren't designed for everybody flushing right at once. But when you have that many people That's watching the Super Bowl, it's very hard to deliver all that video. And the better the video is, the higher resolution, the more bandwidth it takes. From our point of view, it's really expensive to buy that bandwidth to be able to play the video for everybody. We're, we're thinking about maybe sending out a message. Could all of you families get together and get on the same lesson and we'll send out one copy for 100 kids? <laughs> of course, it doesn't work. And so the, the way that you connect to the internet, if you have internet at your home, is you have an internet service provider and they probably run a fiber to your house and then they put a Wi-Fi in there for you or something and you can use the internet. But you have to pay for that every month. And a lot of families are paying, oh, around $100. That was bad, wasn't it? Cut that out. It wasn't okay. bad. And a lot of families <laughs> pay like $100 for their internet connection. Well, for us to send the video, we have to be connected to the internet too. And we've got to pay $100 for all of you. And that's more than most of you pay. Yeah. How in the world can we provide a Acellus as affordably as we are? And the interesting thing is strategy. Strategy. You're good at that. In our data center, we have fibers running from Kansas City out to 110 cities. 
And cities have their central networks there that the connectors, the internet providers connect to. So what we do is we look at where we've got a lot of usage and we contact that internet provider and say, you know what, you're paying a lot to be able to deliver our videos to your customers. Why don't we just form a peering agreement and go around the internet? Mm -hmm. Go around and it? Go around it. So we have a direct fiber to their mm -hmm. city and we connect directly up with all of these different internet providers and about 80% of our traffic that we send out is free. And that's why, that's why you can do it. we can do what we're doing in price. And you know, a lot of our families uh, struggle to try and be able to provide the best education in the world to their kids. And so it's just been a neat way we've met them. And this technology is a lot of what enables us to do that. So, uh, Developing technology just opens doors, open doors, open doors. Things I learned in my recording business uh, that made it possible to do the networking, which made it possible, and now we're doing gold key security to protect your stuff. It just all fits together and gives us a real good solution. I have a question I've always wanted to know the answer to. And now it's time for the page A question of the week. Yes. So. We should have music. That, no. <laughs> that little chip under there. This one? Yeah, that silicon, that chip, it wasn't made, wasn't out, it wasn't being produced, and yet you had hope that it would come and be ready? Well, or the, how did, how the did you company do? that made this chip uh -huh. gave a projection of how fast their chips would develop over 10 uh -huh. years. So we looked at what they said they could do. They're a good company, so we assumed they would be able to fab these and have them build. We, we buy these as blanks. And then we, we actually burned Dr. John's design in. It's not like programming a chip. It's actually laying out uh, the uh, circuit inside the chip. And so John literally designed the chip. We could make it in an ASIC, and that's what we would do in very large quantities. But this one's in a filled programmable Gatorade or an FPGA. And the difference is a filled programmable Gatorade is gate array is made like a blank and then you put it in a special machine and it actually wires the chips and sides electronically and then we can put it on our board. So it took a certain amount of risk to do that. I'm just thinking about that because you're going along, you're making it and then you're just hoping that it's going to, the projection's going to be good and, you, and it was. I'm just thinking of this through because when you look at it, now you're making me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm realizing work? that you that you, was, it was you a big decision. We had to yeah. sit down. We had to look at it. Yeah. They needed it, and uh, we didn't do it for money. We actually yeah. got paid quite a bit for doing it, and, and thank you. We were glad to help. Mm -hmm. But we looked at it and we thought it was a very worthwhile cause. Um, if we could get this technology to work, and if these defensive missiles could knock down ones that are trying to destroy cities, we just might save an Acela student. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. Okay, yeah, there we go. And, but literally, <laughs> and people were losing their lives, mm -hmm. and so we decided, well, there is some risk to it, right. but it's so important, we gotta give it our best. And so we did. 
that I just that says a lot about what you do and how you do it and how you're you see the future a little better and you really yeah. take risks. If you really want to know about risk, you ought to hear about the risk of when we decide to build our four big data centers. Building data centers is a big deal. Mm -hmm. We have to hook up to the the mains, to the city mm -hmm. power system, two different places in case one goes down to make the power reliable. And then we have to put generators on both those incoming feeds so that if they both go down, we got generators to run. Then we have to put in a battery system to keep our data center running for a few seconds until the generators start. Mm -hmm. And we have to do that at all four locations. And then buying all of that equipment and putting in all the networking and stuff was really expensive, really expensive. And to put all that in for a Cellus yeah. um, took some nerve. She made me do it. <laughs> well, I encourage you. She's so modest, <laughs> isn't she? Because I believe what we're doing, and yeah, I know that But that's sometimes what you have it. to do. You have to decide what really matters. And not everything that people try work, mm -hmm. uh, especially in technology, especially yeah. the first time. What we as inventioners try to do is we try to figure out which technologies are real, which ones are pipe dreams? Maybe they're interesting, but you'd never be able to use them. Right. And then we pick out the good ones and we figure out how to hook them together and make them be successful. And Acellus is really successful. You know, uh, we have record enrollments this year. Fortunately, we were ready for it, so we've got the servers and the bandwidth and everything, and we should be able to take care of, of all of our students. But I'm getting so much fun feedback on Acellus Gold. Yes. Uh, now we're getting a lot of good ideas and, and we already have a lot of things that we fixed. Yes. A lot of things we're changing and thank you for those yeah. ideas coming in. But uh, one of the wonderful mothers of a student uh, was on the phone this morning with our support team and she said her student is um, has been diagnosed with some learning disabilities mm -hmm. and doesn't like anything that is different than the students used to. And of course, changing the gold, everything was different, everything. which was a real challenge. And our, our training team has been suggesting to parents that if they'll just sit down with their child and let them work for even a half hour and they see that they get it, it's, mm -hmm. it's not a hard interface to learn. And it's so much better for students with disabilities, uh, learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. But this mother said that when she went back in and did that and got her student started, that the student got into writing tutor. Now writing tutor, as you know, has uh, the ability to let you write things into the computer. Yeah. And then you see on the screen all of the, this where we are, yeah it is. You see the different colors where you've misspelled a word or where you have bad grammar or things like that. And it was almost like an adventure for the student to go in with those and fix it. <laughs> and she wrote and says, it was just amazing. He was just having a ball and he was learning so much. And it really that. is fascinating that that's the way writing tutor works. Now in the write a book, and by the way, uh, we now have write a book out for the elementary, for the middle school and the high school. So it's available to everybody 
you haven't read a, written a book, get busy, okay? okay? But that is where you have one of the opportunities of using AI, chat GPT. And how we've implemented it is working out really well. We've been watching real close to see how students do with it. But you know, when a student sits down to write a book, uh, what happens is they basically get stuck. They sit down, pencil or keyboard, mm -hmm. and they just they don't know what to do. And so the write a book system with Writing Tutor starts out by letting them choose where they want to put their story. Do they want to put it in the Wild West? Do they want to put it in a city? Do they want to put it in a park? So they choose the background. That's a decision, a creative decision. Then they choose the characters they want to use in the book, and they bring them in, and then they're ready to write. Now this is where something really neat happens, and I hypothesize that it would happen, and bless your heart, students, <laughs> you're doing it. What's happening is you get to that point, and you're having a hard time figuring out what to write, so you ask AI for help. Okay. But AI, it's not sentient, it's not a living thing, it's a computer program, yeah. and so it says, well, what do you want me to write about? Oh. And then they say, I want you to write about a dog named Bill that chased a cat named Kitty. And AI writes it. And they can start writing their book with that help. But it's interesting, AI doesn't write until you tell it what to write. And doing that sentient thinking, which only people can do, mm -hmm. is what really is going to empower you to do so many things in your life. I think the biggest outcome of AI is going to be the way it gets people using their superpowers. And our superpowers are our ability to create brand new, beautiful things that have never been thunk up before. And that's not good English. Writing tutors complaining, oh well. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant quote. Never been thunked up, up before. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funky. Stunk. Anyway, all right. <clears throat> so thank you. Uh, another thing that I've noticed is more and more students are, are just diving in and they're learning a Cellus Gold through the discovery method. Uh -huh. And I like it when there's always something new to find, something new to discover. And a lot of people are finding friends on the interface mm -hmm. and they're starting to have competitions and they're starting to share, congratulate either, each other when they succeed and it, it's working. Yeah. Uh, I, I was kind of broken hearted years ago when I read an article about one of the social sites, giant social sites on the internet, intentionally trying to make people depressed by only publishing negative stories. And they were actually destroying friendships by not sending positive messages, sending negative ones and things. And I just thought, how could they do that? But then I got to thinking, you know what? They've got a good idea, except they're doing it backwards. Mm -hmm. They're using all the power of their, of their computer servers to make people unhappy and not like each other just flip it over and use all the power to help people discover each other and to learn how to socially engage and how to interact and it's working. Yeah, it is. We got a lot of stuff cooking between the Cellus Gold <laughs> students and it's just been 
days. Solus magic. Huh? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is a solus magic. And, and I call what's happening with Acellus the Acellus effect. Yes. And I'm looking at it from the point of view of our families, our Acellus families. A lot of them are saying that they, they put kids on Acellus because they had to keep them home from school because they were getting bullied mm -hmm. or because they were having problems. And some, just because they were really struggling with learning in the school, can't really handle each student one-on-one -on -one the way we do. And when they got on a cellus, they just flourished. Yeah. That's the cellus effect. It makes the students happy, makes them feel like they can, which is, is the real secret. We got a, a question from three different students asking, so how does R, mm -hmm. that's me, mm -hmm. she took away my name, that's all I got. <laughs> how, how does R keep from getting discouraged when things go wrong? Really and it's a it's an interesting question. How do you keep from getting discouraged? Well, discouragement is something that builds up, like logs plugging up a, a beaver dam, you know, and pretty soon it floods. Uh, and you get over discouragement just the other way, by having success. Mm. And what Acellus is doing is it's giving students that aren't used to succeeding. Success. When you start experiencing success, your whole life changes. The sun comes back up and, and you start to feel good about yourself. And when you feel good is when you really learn. If we want students to really excel at learning, we've got to get them feeling good. And so there's a lot of magic built into Acellus to help achieve them learning the Acellus effect. And it's happening also at schools. Some whole school districts have gone to Acellus now, and they're way above where they were in the other districts in their area. And the superintendents are telling me it's just like this is a different place. People have hope again, and that's fun. And that thrills me. That's what it's all about. All right, so keep studying hard, and we'll see you next time to learn about titration.